Hello and welcome to Produce Talks, the CPMA podcast. I am CPMA Education Manager and your host for Produce Talks, Ian Brody. Today we're discussing food safety and the Safe Food for Canadians regulations, which came into effect this past January under the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. We'll explore how these new federal regulations may impact your business and some of the resources available to industry to help navigate through any new requirements. Joining me in the discussion will be Food Safety Specialist at CPMA, Jeff Hall, and we will be joined later on by Fred Weber, the President and CEO of the Fruit and Vegetable Dispute Resolution Corporation, more widely known as the DRC. A quick note for any Spotify users out there, I'm very happy to say that we are now on Spotify and can simply be found by searching Produce Talks under podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and let us know what you think. And before we get started on this month's podcast, a quick word from Selena to tell us about the Fresh Health Award. Hi guys, I'm here to remind you about the Fresh Health Award. The annual award, which is presented at our convention and trade show, is given to a company that's encouraging the consumption of fruits and vegetables by either using the Half Your Plate program or the Fredgy Children's program. To nominate a company, simply email me at skarkash at cpma.ca. As of January 15th, 2019, new licensing, preventive control, and traceability requirements came into place in Canada through the CFIA. And anytime new regulations like this come into place, businesses can be impacted. With the new SFCRs, this is particularly the case for food businesses in Canada. Helping us unpack some of these requirements and regulations is food safety specialist at CPMA, Jeff Hall. Welcome, Jeff. Hi, Ian. How are you today? Good, good. To start off, why don't you tell us a little bit about what was in place before the Safe Food for Canadians regulations, and what gaps do these new regulations try to fill? The Safe Food for Canadians regulations took a set of regulations that the country was working under with respect to the food industry. There were 14 separate regulations that were out there. And basically what the SFCR is doing is taking all those those regulations any elements that are common to them, they were, were put together in kind of a uh, like a common area. Things like personal hygiene, for example, uh, or sanitation. Things that are are common throughout throughout any decent piece of food safety legislation. And then what it did also did though is it ret- retained the uh, specifics uh, about uh, different commodity groups. So, for example, in our world, there's now a, this section on fresh fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. Um, the meat folks still have the meat requirements that they follow, as well as the dairy folks and et cetera. So basically what it, let, what, what, what it allowed for was to take those 14 previous sets of regulations, which were you know, antiquated and very difficult to, to work with, and rolled it up into the, the brand new regulation, uh, hopefully keeping the best of the past, but allowing yeah. for some uh, flexibility moving forward. Okay. When I was uh, reading through the regulations on the CFIA website, there are three sort of categories, I guess, that keep popping up. Licensing, preventive controls, and traceability of food products. Can you talk a little bit about each? Sure. So with respect to the those three kind of pillars that uh, the CFIA put together, um, as they began their review of the, the previous regulations, 
they they realized that they, they didn't have a system in place to capture the information about, you know, who exactly was producing food in, in, in Canada, who mm-hmm. was importing, who was exporting. And that was certainly a gap that needed to be filled. Um, to fill that or to uh, to make sure they covered that off, they created the uh, the license, licensing requirement under the SFCR. The licensing is interesting because it's a bit of a mind shift that um, people have to get used to. Um, it's no longer really who you think you are, but it's more now what you do. For example, if you're a uh, if you if you run a blueberry farm, and obviously you you grow and harvest your your blueberries, but you also package them, and they they would then go to um, a retailer in in another province, for example. Um, you would fall under a, a packager. So you would need an SFCR license as a packager and any other kind of, um, any others of, of the criteria that, uh, that you might, uh, you might meet. So that's kind of a different mindset that people have to get used to. And all that is laid out, um, fairly clearly in the, uh, the CFIA documentation. Uh, there's a lot of information there, um, but they have put together some some pretty good um, tools to help you kind of navigate your way through. And uh, people I've talked to that have, have begun to get their licenses and put things in place, says it takes a little bit of time, but yeah. once you get kind of used to the way it works, it, it's great. When it comes to the preventive control plans, this is basically your food safety system. So the system you're going to follow to ensure that you're producing food in, in a safe manner that, uh, that uh, complies with the regulations. For most uh, organizations in Canada, that would be a, a written program, uh, but there are some exemptions for some of the smaller, uh, smaller producers, and that's all clearly laid out in the regulations. The nice thing is that the uh, preventive control plans are based on global um, standards that are out there, Specifically, information around the uh, the GFSI, which is the Global Food Safety Initiative. Right. And the nice thing that we have here in Canada is we've got our very own uh, GFSI program, which of course is Canada GAP, which a number of our members uh, would already be following. The Canada GAP program is actually a recognized, considered a model system by the government. And it is actually uh, 100% compliant with the new SFCR regulations when it comes to food safety. Um, there are some non-food safety related um, requirements within the regulations. Uh, for example, there's some packaging and some labeling things that people have to make sure they're complying with. But the nice thing is if you're working under a Canada GAP program, then you're already, like I said, you know, 100% there. Always a good idea to, to, to check the, the, the regulations against your program just to make sure you haven't missed anything. But uh, it means that most of our members, at least, have already done a lot of the hard work to ensure their, their PCPs are in place. Yeah. The, last, uh, the last feature, the last pillar, has to do with traceability. And traceability in this context is uh, being able to follow you know, where your product came from and who you're selling it to. In the event that there's an issue, either from a recall standpoint or if there's a quality issue, uh, you're able to reach uh, forward to your customers and and let them know that uh, there's an issue, there's a potential issue with a product. And also it allows you to reach back if if you uh, a problem is found 
and you can reach back to your uh, your suppliers to find out where those uh, those issues may have arisen. So that's an important piece of the legislation that is mm-hmm. in place now, and it's one that we are uh, doing our best to uh, help the industry to walk through that and understand exactly what that uh, requirement has to do with uh, moving forward. Yeah, of course. Um, reading through some of the resources on the CFIA website, there is some detail in regards to timelines. Um, I mean, as regulations get implemented, businesses businesses need time to adapt. Uh, can you talk a little bit about some of the timelines, I guess, with some of these regulations? I think I saw with the preventive control plan that that's not necessarily something that's required immediately. Um, so what is required now and I guess what will be phased in? So as of uh, January 15th of 2019, um, that's when the regulations uh, came into force, most of them. There mm-hmm. are some things, as you just uh, mentioned, that have been deferred for a year, but the majority of things came into force as of January 15th of 2019. Things like um, uh, your license, for example, and, and some of the other uh, requirements there. What the government has told us is that over the next year, at least, they'll be looking at that time period as, as an education time. So they'll be working with industry to ensure that industry understands what's required of them. And they're not looking to do any, any uh, enforcement uh, of the regulations unless, of course, there is a, uh, there is a food yeah. safety risk. Yeah. And then, of course, they, they have to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a number of regulations that are coming into force on January 15th, 2020. And at that point, pretty much everything with respect to uh, the fresh fruit and vegetable industry would be then uh, in force under the, the new regulations. Gotcha. So um, you know, the government has worked, uh, worked very closely with industry on, on these sets of regulations. Uh, they understand it's a it's a major change both for industry and for the way they have to uh, regulate it uh, from their standpoint too. It's a, certainly a learning curve for them and their uh, their inspectors and whatnot. Um, so they they really are doing their best to make sure that uh, the the new regs roll out smoothly. People understand them. People understand what is required of them. And they're certainly not going in in a punitive manner. They're they're not looking to do yeah, that. Of course. It's 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 an educational phase right now. Okay. So I mean, at the heart of all this, what we really want to unpack is how this impacts the the day to day of food businesses in Canada. I think you touched on it a little bit of al- already, but what are, for example, some of the business and cost implications for producers? Say, there shouldn't be any significant costs. Assuming an organization was already running uh, with a food safety plan, hopefully one of the uh, global food safety initiative ones, a Canada gap or a global gap or something like that. Um, yes, they'll need to, to check to make sure that they're still compliant with the new regs, but you know, that, that's something that they do on a continuous basis. Anyhow, when it comes to those sorts of uh, food safety programs, as those are always getting updated every every year or two, anyhow, certainly businesses now will have to see if they uh, require a license. Mm-hmm. And if they do, I mean, the cost of a license, you know, is uh, $250 and that for two years. So it's not a huge, it's not a huge layout of, of money. Yeah. Really, there shouldn't be at this point 
any huge costs incurred by businesses. We are watching um, some of the uh, aspects of the regulations with respect to traceability and, uh, and lot codes. But at this point, we've been able to uh, defer uh, any action on that for at least a year as we uh, discuss the issue with CFIA. And we'll be doing our best to you know, try to minimize the, that impact on industry. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, other than that, it, it really is just making sure that uh, a business has, uh, has gone through the new regulations, the parts at least that affect them, mm-hmm. and just to kind of, they want to make sure they can check off the boxes that they are already doing uh, what, what, what needs to be done. And in some cases, I'm sure the programs will need to be tweaked or new processes may, to, will, may need to be uh, put in place. But overall, it, it, it shouldn't be a huge burden to uh, any company that is already working under a, uh, a food safety program. Right. And we'll have Fred Weber joining us in a little bit. So I'm sure he'll, he'll be talking a little bit about importers specifically, I believe. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Fred and the DRC, that's, uh, that's, that, that's his world. And he's certainly an expert when it comes to that sort of stuff. And so what don't we know yet about the regulations? The biggest thing, anytime there's a, there's a significant regulatory change, is it's, it's awfully hard to predict the future. As it stands now, it, it doesn't appear as this should cause any major issues to the, to the industry. Uh, consumers um, shouldn't see any, uh, any issues uh, with respect to you know, the product they're buying and, and the availability of product and things like that. That being said, um, you know, as we, as an industry, you know, learn to live with these new regulations, as uh, the government learns about, you know, enforcing them, and it, it, sometimes un, unforeseen consequences can pop up. But we work very closely with uh, both CFIA as well as our industry partners, who certainly are, are doing the same sorts of things as we are when it comes to their various constituents. So that, you know, there's a lot of eyes on the uh, on what's coming and we should be able to uh, head off any major issues uh, before they become major issues. Mm-hmm. But right now, it really is a uh, it really is a process of, uh, you know, learning to live with the new regulations, understanding how it affects our businesses. And then we'll have to figure out as if any changes need to be made yeah. moving forward. CFIA has also uh, committed to uh, reviewing the uh, the regulations on a a regular basis. So we're probably looking every five years or in that uh, in that time frame approximately, and uh, that will also help to that, to uh, keep the regulations uh, current and uh, meeting both the needs of the Canadian consumer as well as the industry. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I'm sure that any time there's such a significant regulatory transition. There's got to be that time for review and feedback. Yeah, and and there is. So CPMA have developed a guidance document for the SFCRs. Can you talk a little bit about that and what other resources are available for industry? Yeah, the uh, the, the guidance document was developed uh, specifically for the uh, the fresh fruit and vegetable industry uh, here in Canada, as well as, of course, to help out our uh, our membership down in the U.S. 
um, to understand and, and, and be able to kind of work their way through the new regulations, you know, concentrating on the fresh fruit and vegetable aspects of it without having to worry about any of the other commodity groups. Currently, uh, version four of the document is on our uh, our website. It is in the community section and it is a member benefit. So it's specifically uh, for our CPMA members. It isn't open for, for public, for example. And in the, in it, we've covered all of the major sections of the regulations and how that uh, impacts on the industry. And I think the most important thing is, uh, is of course, the reference uh, material that we provide. Uh, all the links that are out there right now um, from the CFIA website are kind of in one spot. So you can go there if you have a question about, you know, the, the, the regulations on a broad, you know, 30,000 foot level um, question about it. There's information there. And it also, of course, drills down to some of the very specific topics. It's something that, that we also, which was had reviewed by the CFIA, just to make sure that everything that was in there was laid out and explained in, in, in the manner that they expected it to be. We didn't want to run into a situation where we were saying one thing and, and the government was saying another. Right. So this uh, document has been vetted through CFIA, which is uh, important and, 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 and members can take comfort in knowing that if they're following the document, um, they're also following basically what the government is, is looking yeah, absolutely. for. So that will hopefully save them some time later. We also have uh, on the community site the question and answer section. So as members ask questions, um, when they're always welcome to come through the office through CPMA and and have us act on their behalf, we can act, you know, they can be anonymous and and we can put a question forward if it's not something they want to ask directly to the government. And what we've been doing is we've been capturing those questions as well as the official answers from the government. So that's another uh, resource for members that if they have a you know very specific uh, question about a topic, they can go to that document, do a quick search on some keywords that they're looking for, and uh, hopefully it's uh, already been answered uh, uh, for them by the government, and it will save them a little time. So that is certainly a- another another um, a resource that's available to them. And I, honestly, I, I think the the most important resource also is is the CPMA staff themselves. Sally Blackman, Blackman, of course, who is uh, our, our, our regulatory manager. Sally knows the new regulations kind of inside and out, as well as all the previous ones. And she's a, uh, she's a hugely significant resource for members to tap into. Uh, I'm, of course, always available to help out members when it comes to questions about the regulations or some some kind of larger industry questions. Then, of course, there's Jane Proctor, who's uh, our boss, and uh, Jane is the VP of Policy and Issues Management. Uh, Jane, of course, has uh, years of experience uh, within the industry and uh, is always uh, willing to, to help members out uh, when they have specific questions. Uh, the nice thing is with uh, with Jane's team, there are experts both in uh, in, in regulatory, uh, food safety, uh, communications, of course, as well as government relations. So between kind of the five of us, we're able to uh, to answer most questions that our members have. And we also have very strong relationships with, uh, as I've mentioned before, some of the uh, other industry associations, both here in Canada 
as well as in the U.S., um, as well as very strong government um, relationships. So we're able to tap into those and, and, and get answers for members or provide or point them in the direction of certain resources fairly quickly. So that is certainly probably, like I said uh, initially, one of the strongest benefits to our members is just having access to, uh, to Jane's team and, uh, and the knowledge they possess and the, the relationships they can tap into. Well, it's certainly a lot of information to uh, chew on. So thank you so much for your insights, Jeff. My pleasure. Let's take a break with a word from our sponsor, Nature Fresh Farms. After the break, we'll be joined by Fred Weber from the DRC, and we'll continue our discussion on food safety and the new Safe Food for Canadians regulations. It's Sarah here from Nature Fresh Farms. February is an exciting time at our Leamington greenhouses because we are preparing to pick our first Canadian fruits of the year. This means that in the next month, local retailers will begin to see Canadian product filling their shelves. We are proud to provide our Canadian consumers with locally grown produce that is great quality and tastes fresh. So make sure you look for Nature Fresh Farms greenhouse grown produce at your local grocery store in the coming weeks. So next on Produce Talks, we welcome President and CEO of the DRC, Fred Weber. Fred, thanks for coming on. Hey, not a problem. Thanks for having me. So before we continue our conversation on the new regulations, can you please talk a little bit about the DRC for any listeners that may not be familiar and and the services that you provide? Oh, sure. Um, Most folks um, that have been around us for a while know us as the DRC. Our actual full name is the Fruit and Vegetable Dispute Resolution Corporation. Um, We were actually formed in the late 90s, opened our doors for business uh, in the year 2000. Interestingly enough, uh, we were actually formed under a a section of NAFTA at the time that provided for uh, alternative alternative dispute resolution. particularly the U.S. and Canada, were very interested at the time uh, in finding a way to ease cross-border issues and, quite frankly, to try to harmonize um, both systems and align a little bit with PACA. So we really, uh, for those in the the states and in Canada that are familiar with the the Perishable Agricultural Commodities Act, a lot of our rules are very similar to theirs. We make every effort to try to harmonize them. Um, We educate folks when they call in, try to help people informally resolve problems. We do, in fact, resolve about 85% of them informally. Uh, For those that don't go that way, all DRC members do have to do binding arbitration. Um, So our, our our role here, our product, if you will, uh, is to help our members resolve um, all their disputes fully and finally. Right. And so with the new SFCR regulations in place, how has the role of the DRC changed? As I mentioned before, we opened our doors for business in 2000. Uh, At that time, Canadian buyers had an option to either have uh, what was then the old CFIA Um, We'll call it a produce license, Um, or they could be DRC members. DRC members were actually exempt from that federal license. Um, With the new regulations, the old CFIA produce license, and I say that with some emphasis, produce license, uh, is gone. The old licensing and arbitration regulations are gone, um, and they're replaced with a very short section of the SFCR that requires 
uh, a DRC membership uh, for most uh, buyers of fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, the other thing that I guess I would mention, um, we also are going to see a few more people uh, coming to the DRC to satisfy some of those regulatory requirements. We've had some folks called the B exemptors uh, that previously could buy product from within their province and, and sell it outside of the province without being uh, required to have either a, a, uh, the old CFIA license or a DRC membership. Those folks will be in the, in the tent now, as, as well as some additional people um, based on the regulations that have to do with the conveyance of product from, from one province to another. So there will be some, some differences, but, but for the large part, um, our role I don't think has changed a real lot. Uh, I guess the mm -hmm. other one we should throw out there um, um, is that we will see all importers of uh, fresh fruits and vegetables will need to be DRC members. That was a little bit foggy before, um, but currently with the new regulations, you know, the importers are going to have to have a DRC membership. So let's talk a little bit about the obligations and rights, I guess, of current DRC members. Have those been affected at all? And not really. What's, what's interesting about this is that the DRC... Um, as we've existed since 2000, really remains pretty much intact. Um, in fact, our, our current members um, and, and applicants coming in recently really aren't going to see uh, any, any difference from what they've had in the past. Um, it, it's really the regulatory requirements for a membership that have changed. Uh, the, the rights and obligations of a DRC member uh, really have have stayed the same, and I don't think that really should surprise anybody. I'm, I'm thinking about when they were doing the consultations across Canada. People really didn't want to change mm -hmm. uh, the, the default trading standards of the DRC. They've been pretty much harmonized, uh, you know, to get along with the rest of the world. <laughs> uh, they give people a lot of uh, latitude to resolve their own problems. So for us, very, very little has changed. The rights and rob obligations of members, um, people need to understand they're still applying for a DRC membership all of those rights and obligations that have always been there remain there. Uh, the difference is who has to have them. Uh, and that's really what the regulations spell out. Not a change to the DRC, but a change to who has to have a DRC membership. You know, things like the $100,000 retail exemption. You know, if you're a retailer and you buy more than 100000 outside of the province, you have to have a DRC membership. It was a different amount of money before. It's been added that you know if you're a whole or a wholesaler and you're trading in more than a ton in any single day, you have to have a DRC membership to be in compliance with the regulations. So the the regulations are really quite separate uh, from the DRC requirement. Okay. And so let's talk a little bit about importers. What are the requirements and implications for non-resident importers? Well, the non-resident importers, and let's let's kind of stay with as it pertains to DRC, um, because really, uh, people need to to keep in mind that the DRC really has nothing to do with food safety per se. Um, we're all about the the trade and commerce side of the act. So, where the NRIs uh, are going to impact us a little bit uh, is, first of all, with the change in the regulations. 
as far as food safety goes, only shippers from countries that have a, a comparable food safety system are going to be eligible for to be an NRI in, in Canada. Right now, that's only the U.S. So what we're seeing right now, uh, because a number of the retailers in particular uh, really like their shippers to get that product across the border so that it's just ready for them to put into their DCs and send out to their stores. They, they want the shippers to have already done all the border work. So we are seeing a number of U.S. shippers a little bit confused, quite frankly, about you know going online and, and getting their um, Canadian food safety license because they're just not really used to the idea mm-hmm. that to bring product into Canada, you know, they've got to have this food safety license, and to get the food safety license, they have to get a, a business number here in Canada. Uh, they have to be a DRC member, which, quite frankly, most of the U.S. shippers already are. What I think is going to be more challenging uh, about that is the number of shippers in other countries uh, who in the past have been non-resident importers, and they're getting pressured uh, by their customers here in Canada to continue that function, and the fact is they can't. So we are seeing some, shall I call them, creative approaches <laughs> to mm-hmm. to try to continue bringing product into the country. I, I think it's going to take a lot of time to sort out exactly what is and isn't going to be ex- uh, acceptable to CFIA. I, I think for people that are listening to this, they they just really do need to be uh, very, I don't want to say careful. They need to dot their I's, cross their T's, ask lots of questions. You know, call DRC if they have questions. Call CAPMA if they have questions. Um, because quite frankly, you know, bringing product into Canada uh, with the new regulations is a serious business, and you don't want to get caught trying to, to get around it. Um, you, you don't want to be held at the border um, because you not only are going to have product that will have to be turned away, but you're also going to have a very unhappy customer. Right. And I mean, we, we talked about it a little bit at the top of the show in terms of any time that there's a transition like this with regulations, there needs to be that time for transition. It's not always going to be black and white. Yeah, and I I agree with that 100%. And I I know in our conversations uh, with CFIA and talking with them about the transition period, um, I mean, I think everybody knows at this point, um, you know, they've put some dates um, on when when things need to come into force. But in terms of the things that have changed, um, we're, we're really pretty pleased with the approach that CFIA is taking. We've, we've had a couple of circumstances uh, on the trade and commerce side where we've had some challenges, you know, talking with some of the B exemptors that I mentioned before that need to make some adjustments to the new regulations. There are some adjustments that some of the retailers need to make to some of the new regulations. And CFIA has not only been supportive of, um, but, but actually is encouraging, um, you know, with, with people to have a chance to adjust just, and they're calling it soft enforcement. Um, it will come to an end eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people will get warned once or twice, <laughs> and then they'll probably get their their uh, their fingers slapped. But um, I, I do think that they're not going to punish people who really didn't know. Uh, hi, Fred. It's uh, it's Jeff jumping back in here again. Um, one one question that that we are getting here at CPMA, and thank you very much, by the way, for for explaining the DRC piece. Um, that's certainly important, and and it's important our our members understand it. But one of the questions we get is, do we need a DRC membership 
as well as an SFCR license. And I just wonder if you can kind of give a kind of a, a general overview of, uh, of that question. Sure, Jeff. Great to, great to hear your voice, and I'm pleased to be here and to answer that question because we, we're getting a lot of them in here, too. There, there is no straight-up answer to that because the, the fact is some people are going to need both. Uh, some people are just going to need a DRC membership, and some are just going to need a food safety license. It really does depend on where they are, where the product is going, uh, and what they're actually doing to the product. There are a number of firms out there that uh, buy and sell product, for example, they don't touch it. They have an office and a phone. doesn't go into their warehouse. They buy it from one person. They sell it to another. Those people have to have a DRC membership because they're buying and selling on the trade and commerce side. But they're not actually touching the product. They're not doing anything to it, so they're not going to need that food safety license with, with the traceability component to it. Uh, there are also going to be folks um, who are, are packing their own product uh, that they've grown themselves. Those folks are not going to need a DRC membership because you're exempt from that requirement if you're only selling product you owe, but they are going to need a food safety license um, in most cases. So obviously people that are buying and selling and packing or any of the other things that come in under the food safety site are going to need both. I think that the, uh, the online tool in my CFIA has done a pretty good job of helping people walk through that. And that's probably the best way for people to answer that question directly, outside of obviously calling us or you guys uh, to get it clarified. Yeah, thanks for that, Fred. And, and I agree, the online interactive tools that CFIA has put together are, uh, are an excellent starting point for, uh, for anyone who has questions about what they, what they may or, or may not need. Um, Ian, that's the only question I had. Well, listen, I want to thank you both so much, uh, Jeff and Fred, for your insights and, and thoughts on the new regulations. I'm sure our listeners and members find it very valuable uh, through this regulatory uh, transition. My pleasure, Ian. Perfect, and thanks for having me. And again, it's great, great having you guys as partners. More information on the Safe Food for Canadians regulations can be found on the CFIA website. CPMA members also have access to the regulations guidance document, which we mentioned earlier, which breaks down the regulations, the timelines, the implications in an easy-to-read format. Members are also encouraged to contact Jeff, our food safety specialist, at jhall at cpma.ca if you have any food safety or regulatory questions. Thanks again to Jeff and Fred for their insights. Thank you to our sponsor, Nature Fresh Farms, and thank you for listening. Stay tuned for next month's episode when we'll chat about the positive news coming from the new Canada Food Guide. We'll be joined by a special guest, our Half Your Plate culinary ambassador, Chef Michael Smith. Again, you can subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes and Google Play. Until next time, fill half your plate with fruits and veggies, continue to seek out new knowledge, and basically never stop growing.